Good evening, church. Please take your Bibles. Go to Psalm 55. We'll get into the Word of God here in just a moment. I'll share my testimony with you and share a little bit about what the Lord has been doing at Sparrow Baptist Church. First of all, why Sparrow? Did you know that sparrows are found in nearly every country in the world? Much like people from Toronto. <laughs> so that's a kind of a, a clever way of of uh, really kind of uh, interacting with people. When you give them a track, they're like, why Sparrow? And you can immediately go right into right into that. Um, sparrows are a visible reminder of God's love for everyone. The Bible says in Matthew 10.31, Fear ye not, therefore ye are more value than many sparrows. Whenever you see a sparrow around town, uh, remember to pray for us. And also, it should remind you um, your value before God. God loves you. And God gives us many uh, visible reminders, one of which is sparrows. Uh, these are the um, door hangers that we've been putting out. Uh, we started the church July 1st on Canada Day. Why Canada Day? Why not? <laughs> we just did. We started. Um, that was a bad day to start. Okay. Um, so there they are, the door hangers. Um, almost 10,000 of these have been out so far. Uh, we've got a, a few left that we're trying to get out, and then uh, we've been working the, the neighborhoods um, right around Jane and Bloor. That's where our church is, Jane and Bloor, right down there in, in Toronto. And uh, if, uh, if you know people who think it's too far to come to this church, then tell them to come to ours. <laughs> Amen? Um, so um, that's that's that. These are our prayer cards. Um, feel free to grab one of these and pray for us. Um, they're back on the back table when you when you leave with the tracks and everything. We, um, I'm originally from the states. How many of you guys caught that with my accent? <laughs> yes. Praise him. Um, praise him, not Trump. I wasn't saying praise Trump. I don't talk politics. I hate politics. I don't watch the news, listen to the news. I have no idea what's going on in the world, and I'm pretty happy about it. <laughs> yep, that's my philosophy in life. Um, my dad is actually born in New Brunswick, and uh, his mother's Canadian, so I have dual citizenship, and I praise the Lord for that. Um, in, uh, in the foresight of the Lord, um, he granted, he allowed me to have dual citizenship because he knew one day he was going to lead me here to start a church. Um, I attended Bethel Baptist College, a ministry of our home church in Jacksonville, Arkansas. So my dad, um, he was in the U.S. military, so we lived all over the United States. And I grew up in independent Baptist churches my whole life, heard the gospel from a very young age. I made a profession of faith as a young person. The Bible teaches that uh, we need to have the faith of a child or to be like a child when we trust the Lord. It's, it's not an inordinate amount of knowledge that we need. Um, it's, uh, it's not difficult. But I misplaced my faith in a prayer as a child. And I didn't realize that until I be, began to be in my... This is right there. I'm going to move that a little. Is this even working? Or is it my lapel? I'm going to move it. I'm going to move it. Just move it right out of the way. I've never seen one that lit up, though. That's unique. The church that has a lit up microphone. Um... Distracting, brother. We need to take that up. Um, we uh, 
So when I began to be a teenager, you know, hearing the gospel so many times being in church and um, I really got convicted and, and I was so afraid of dying and going to hell. But I, I of course, I didn't want to admit it to anybody, um, but I was really confused. I thought that I had done what people had told me to do. And I remember grabbing several tracks on the track rack at our church, reading through them, saying, I know all this stuff. I think I did that. And I began thinking, maybe I left something out of the prayer. Maybe I didn't pray the prayer right. And, uh, and I was so uh, afraid and so confused, I actually uh, prayed, to, prayed to the Lord. And, and I said, Jesus, I don't understand if I'm saved or if I'm lost. Would you show me if I'm saved or if I'm lost? And um, it was about two weeks later, a visiting preacher came through. And he preached uh, a sermon. And at the closing of the sermon, he said... Um, a list that many Baptist preachers go through. He says, you can't get baptized to go to heaven. And I wasn't thinking that was the reason I was going to heaven. Um, he said, you can't be good enough to go to heaven. And in my heart, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking of it in that way. And then he said, you can't pray a prayer good enough to go to heaven. He said, because a prayer didn't die for you. A person died for you. And the, it's the object I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And at that moment in my heart, the Lord Jesus said, that's what you've been trusting is that religious work. And he said, will you trust me now? And I praise God for the for his good grace. Of a family that kept me in church. You know, there's so many people in the GTA all over the world, they have no idea what they're missing. They've never had an answer to prayer in their life. In their life. They've never had communication with God. Their heart's never been spoken to. They don't know the peace of God that passes all understanding. They don't know the joy of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful for parents that took me to church, brought me to church. My life was church. But I'm going to tell you something. At that moment, July 25th, 1999... My life changed. It wasn't just coming to church because my friends were there and that was my little world. It was now I had this supernatural appetite for spiritual things that I didn't have before. I wanted to be there for the right reason because for the first time I was born again. And I'm so thankful for that. And that was really the beginning of my journey in um, being in full-time ministry It was right before my 17th birthday. When I was about 19, we moved from where we were living in North Dakota um, down to Arkansas. And we lived there about a year before the Lord uh, called me to preach. I attended Bible college. And in my senior year of Bible college, God called me to be a missionary to the Tibetan people. Tibetan people, this country of Tibet, is now part of communist China. It's very difficult for any foreigner from any country to even visit there. Very difficult. Um, so as a missionary to the Tibetan people, we can't, we couldn't live there. And so we went to the country of Nepal. We lived in Kathmandu, Nepal for seven years. We went there in May of 2009 and we returned in October of 2016. When we were in Nepal, God allowed us to plant a church. Himal Baptist Church, H-I-M-A-L is the Nepali word for mountain, like the Himalayan mountains. Um, and that church is still going on. And a matter of fact, I'm going on a trip back to Nepal to visit the church. 
and encourage the believers um, in October. And um, I'm actually going with Pastor Eagles up in Hamilton. So he and I are going to enjoy going to see uh, Nepal. But anyway, that's why in our prayer card it says Toronto and Kathmandu, reaching Tibetans for Christ. So that's initially the reason why God sent us to, to Toronto is because it actually has the third largest population of Tibetans in the world. Did you know that? You didn't know that. Right down there in Parkdale and in parts of Etobicoke, um, there is a population of Tibetan people. And um, it's a bit like witnessing to a Muslim in the sense of they're so steeped in Buddhism, you really have to know uh, more than just a surface knowledge of their culture and religion in order to really be able to give the gospel to them. And so we're uniquely equipped in that way. Um, but the unique thing is, is that uh, as immigrants here, you know, they've, they've been here, many of them have been here for maybe 15 years, maybe five years, but most of them speak pretty good English. So the Lord has led us to start an English-speaking church. So the way that I explain it to people, and this is unique. It's okay to be unique. Uh, it's, it's completely out of the box and that's okay. And by the way, if you're, if you're a little bit weird, God may call you to be a missionary. <laughs> Amen. Um, and so, uh, we are just reaching out into the community. Anybody who speaks English, anybody who wants to can come. But we, um, we target the Tibetans about once a week. We go down there, we create relationships, and we start conversations. Um, they believe in multiple lifetimes. They believe in reincarnation. They believe in multiple gods and goddesses, including the Dalai Lama. He's like their living god, in a way. Um, kind of like their pope, sort of. He's the head of their religion, but also he's like a living god to them. They believe in multiple sacrifices for sins. They believe in a very uh, mystical complicated form of work salvation. Um, meditation and all these different rituals and they believe they can kind of purify themselves and eventually they'll go to their version of heaven. Um, and so we started the church um, four weeks ago. Um, we have lived in Canada for uh, about a year. We moved here in April of 2017. Um what else am I missing? I don't have it written down. I have my notes written down for my sermon, though. We're going to get to that in just a second. Um, pray for us. We're excited to be here. We like Canada. We really do. We love being here, and I'm not saying that. And by the way, I'm not going to be one of these preachers that gets up here and tells you how great I love Tim Hortons. <laughs> Aren't you sick of that? Every visiting preacher, that's the first... Oh, I love Tim Hortons. I'm going to tell you what I like. You ready for this? No. And it's not Swiss Chalet. I live here now, so I don't have to butter nobody up. Amen. I like a good quality coffee bean that has been ground at home and then... French press. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Anybody French press in here? French press coffee? couple of you are saved. Praise God. 
Okay, Tim Hortons, drink that if you want to. That's okay on a bad day. But if you want to have a good day, you drink good coffee. (laughs) Tim Hortons, Starbucks, French press. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. What's French press? Google it. It'll change your life. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. By the way, I'm thankful we're called to the inside of Toronto and not the outside, not the suburbs, because in Toronto, they have some amazing coffee shops. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The Lord be praised. All right, here we go. We'll get into the message. We'll get spiritual. Um, Psalm 55. Let's look at Psalm 55. We'll read verse 1 through 7. You guys normally stand for the reading or no? Okay, that's fine. We'll just do what you normally do. Psalm 55. By the way, if you're familiar with Faithway Baptist Church, they've been a huge help for us, to us. And uh, the new assistant pastor at Faithway Baptist Church is my brother. Isn't that cool? Yeah, so when you see the name, you'd be like, I'm much better looking, by the way. I had to say that. I just had to say that. I'm just kidding. Um, All right, here we go. Psalm 55, verse number 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. Verse number 3 is our text verse, but we're going to preach through this chapter. Verse number 3 says, Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. We're going to speak on this subject, victory over the voice of the enemy. There are people in this room that struggle on a daily basis. Some of us on an hourly basis with a voice that's in our head. I'm not talking about a spooky thing. I'm not talking about a demonic thing. I'm not talking about a psychological thing. But I'm talking about something in your head that tells you that you're not good enough, that you can't do it, That God's not big enough. That you can't change. That the victory is for other people, but it's not for you. This psalm was written by King David. We'll pray in just a minute. Don't get nervous. This psalm was written by King David at a time in his life when he was expelled from his own throne by his son, 
and his most trusted advisor, whose name was Ahithophel, became the voice of the enemy in David's life. And this entire psalm is written with him in mind. And we'll look at that in just a second. But he begins to describe the effect of this voice in his life. And if not dealt with, will have a devastating and paralyzing effect on the believer. With that in mind, victory over the voice of the enemy. Let's pray and we'll get right into the message. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. I thank you, God, for the victory that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for your word that tells us the truth. I thank you, God, for the victory that's in Jesus Christ and the victory that you can give us over the voice of the enemy. Over the voice of the enemy. I pray, Father, now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would give power as I preach. Father, I surrender myself to you. I pray that you would use me in the hearts of those who are listening. Lord, I dare say that every one of us in this room needs victory in some way. For some, maybe bigger, others smaller. Lord, I pray that your, your word would speak to hearts. Father, I pray you'd fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Use me, I pray. Lord, if there's somebody here today that's not sure that they're saved, they have doubts about their salvation, or maybe they know they're not saved, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Draw them to yourself, and may they be saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. We're going to turn on our Bibles a little bit. Let's go to 2 Samuel 15 and verse 12. 2 Samuel 15 and verse number 12. King David was in his 50s at this time. He had been king for a number of years. Through a series of circumstances and actually through his own, his own sin, his son ended up rebelling against him, stealing the hearts of many of the men in the nation of Israel. And he went and staged a coup, taking over his father's throne. His father didn't want to fight him, didn't want to kill his own son. And so it says in 2 Samuel 15 and verse number 12, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. So there's a huge shift going on now. Absalom had been behind the scenes advising people behind the king's back and being more friendly, more approachable and had, as a result, had stolen the hearts of many of the, of, the, of, the, of the people of Israel. And he now posed a threat to the king. And so David ends up leaving the palace. And we turn over to 2 Samuel 16. And it says in verse 15, And Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. So now we can see that Ahithophel 
is now on Absalom's side. So he's on the opposite side of King, of King David. Verse 20, then said Absalom to Ahithophel, give counsel among you what we shall do. So he's asking counsel from Ahithophel. And verse 23, verse 23, we see why what Ahithophel did has such a devastating effect on David. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with both. Now look at that, both with David and with Absalom. This is a man that was extremely trusted individual by King David, and he switched sides. Ahithophel was as an oracle of God, meaning when they asked him his, his advice, they trusted what he said, almost as if they were listening to an audio recording of God's word, essentially. It was almost as if God was speaking through him. He was trusted that much. Ahithophel was as an oracle of God. And when someone that you trust tells you something that doesn't line up with God's word and God's plan for your life, it brings confusion. And it can also bring confusion as to what God thinks about me. This man used to advise me and he was a trusted godly counselor and when he spoke, it was almost as if God was speaking through him and if, if he goes bad, it's almost as if, can I really trust God now too? By the way, if you're in Christianity for any length of time, this will happen to you. In a small way, sometimes in a big way. Do not place extraordinary trust in whoever is behind this pulpit. The Bible says over and over and over and over again, trust in God. Follow the man, but trust in God. Amen. Amen. We have studied briefly the outside circumstances, and this is not a sermon that is going to, if you take and do these five things, it's going to cure whatever outside circumstances are going on in your life. The Bible never promises that. And anybody says otherwise is twisting the Word of God. Christianity is a relationship from your heart. And so anything that's going to be preached from the Word of God or taught is going to be something that I, that's within my control. It's something that I can do in my heart with the Lord. It's, I, I can, I can do business with God. I can't fix whatever's going on out there. Let me, let me give you just a, a very practical illustration of what I'm talking about. The first Sunday, we had 20 people. Praise God. The Sunday after that, we had 15. Last week, we had 18. You know how many we had this morning? Six. Ugh. That hurts. You know what? I can't fix that. I can't cure whatever's going on out there that made people come or not come or change their mind or, or disregard the thousands of these that we put out. 
I can't change that. But I can decide with the voice that's in my head, whether it's an encouraging thing or a discouraging thing that's going to slow down my obedience to the Lord. And it's going to erode my trust in the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And the great enemy of our soul is not some human that says something that's not right, but the great enemy of our soul is none other than Satan himself. He is after your trust. He wants your trust. It started in the garden. He came up to Eve and he said, Yea, hath God said? And then what did Eve do? She believed what Satan said to her and she turns around and she then presents this fruit to her husband. And then we can see even in the life of Job where Job is going through this enormous trial. Again, he cannot control the circumstances that's going on in his life and he chooses to have a godly attitude about it. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Man, what a verse. What a truth. But here comes his wife. What does she say? Go get him, Job. God's still good. No, that's what she should have said. And I'm not picking on ladies because men can be just as dumb. And oftentimes worse. Can I say this politely? Oftentimes when men get hurt in church, they're out for a really long time. And oftentimes women don't do that. Men are often worse. Oh, I got quiet. You know what I call that? That's a silent amen. <laughs> wow, brother, that's good. And you just hear the pin drop. Yep, it's true. It's true. No, Mrs. Job said, curse God and die. Go kill yourself. Oh, wow, what a good day. I'm glad my wife didn't say that to me when we only had six in church. Oh, yeah, good job, buddy. Go kill yourself. Okay. What about when the Lord Jesus is about to go die on the cross? The Bible says that Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. The inside, this voice of the enemy comes from a trusted source. It causes disproportionate fear. Look at Psalm 55 and verse 1-2. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they cast iniquity upon me and in wrath they hate me. Verse 4. My heart is sore pained within me and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. This is just a voice from the enemy, and it's causing disproportionate fear. Dispro the voice of the enemy in our lives, Christian, will cause disproportionate fear. What it's saying does not equal to the immensity of the fear in our heart. Oh, this is going to happen to me and it's going to be so bad and we start making decisions for our family and start making decisions about church and start making life-changing decisions. And it's not based on the truth. It's based on something that somebody said. And by the way, sometimes that somebody that says the thing 
is our own heart that deceives us. Our heart is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. It's not to be trusted. That's why God insists over and over and over again that Christians should walk by faith and not by sight. Why? Because we think we know what's going on because, oh, I saw that look on their face. I know exactly what's going on. I saw that Facebook post. By the way, Facebook posts are some of the biggest lies in this world. Amen. Most of the time, Facebook posts, what's behind that is a heart that's trying to create envy in you. And it's been photoshopped. (laughs) You can't photoshop life. But what does it do? And I'm not, I'm not preaching against Facebook. I'm just trying to say, far too often, we don't base decisions on what God says. We base it on something else. What do we base it on, brother? Yeah. Here we go. Ephesians, chapter number 6. Ephesians 6. Verse 12. Verse 10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The great enemy of David's soul was not Ahithophel. The great enemy of David's soul was Satan. It was Satan. And the same is true in your life. Let's go to Romans 10. We will never get victory over the voice of the enemy if we do not accurately identify who the enemy really is. Because that person said something to me. This is not a, necessarily a sermon about forgiveness, but it certainly applies. Jesus is hanging on the cross and they're saying all kinds of things. And what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But it says here in Romans chapter number 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by, say it. Hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Satan is desperately trying to replace what we hear in our head. It's like the, uh, the navigation in your car or the, the, the Google Maps that, that you use to, to get around. You know what the worst idea is when you're traveling? is to have your wife hold the Google Maps thing and to try to tell you what the Google Maps is saying as you whiz by your exit. 
I need one voice. One. One voice in my head. Satan desperately wants to be the one voice in your head. He'll not say, God's a liar. He'll never say that. He'll just say, He'll shed a little doubt on it. You know, really what you're doing and you're, what, what you're trying to do for your kids, I, ah, you really think, do you really think, don't you kind of think that's a waste of time? Isn't that kind of a waste of this? It's just enough. It's just enough of a curveball for you to swing at it. That's why our power We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. How do we get victor over the voice of the enemy? Well, we dead sure have got to be in the book. Well, how do I know if it's in the book? If it's not in your head, then you're not in the book enough. If you listen more to the doubtful things in your heart about what you see than the more sure word of prophecy that's been written down, then I'm not in the book enough. Oh man, that's good. I like that. And and man, we can get so mad at people. You know what would help you forgive that person? By the way, you know the end result of Ahithophel? His advice was not taken and he went and hung himself. He had issues. (laughs) He had his own set of issues. You know what would help you forgive that person? If you realize that Satan is behind that trying to attack your walk of faith. They're not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. The enemy attacks what we hear. He wants to implant a voice that we hear besides God's voice. And it will be something that creates doubt and something that creates fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 Timothy 1.7 It's one of my favorite verses. How do I know it's the voice of the enemy? Does it create fear? From doing the right thing? What does it say? For God hath not given us. Who's the us? Save folk. Save people. Christians. Bible definition Christians. People that have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. God has not... Because in Ephesians chapter number 2 it says that There is a spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. They have a totally different spirit. Which, which is, which is a strong, it's, it's not an attitude, it's a whole spirit. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. And of love and of a sound mind. You know what the voice the enemy will attack every single time? Those three things. 
If you're listening to that person or you're listening to that thing in your head or you're... And by the way, this can go back years. Somebody that you knew, somebody that you trusted, somebody that you should have been able to trust. A parent, a trusted individual... Somebody said something somewhere along the way and it just keeps in your head and it's a constant, it's a constant, it's a constant, it's a constant and every decision that you have made up until this point has been because of what that person said way back then. It could have been yesterday, it could have been 15 years ago. When when Christians walk around and they don't live a life of godly, Holy Spirit power, It's because they're listening to the voice of the enemy. If you're a Christian and you don't love, I can't love, I just can't love, and and the opposite of that is self-love. It's not hate. Every decision you make is all about you. And there ain't nothing agape about it. Oh, brother, you getting mean. No, 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 come on now. I would hate to get to heaven and realize for the first time in my life, that for all of my Christian life, I've been following the voice of the enemy. We need to hear this now. We need to hear this now. Power. Hey, your family needs you to live a life of power. The real kind. I'm not talking about blah. I'm not talking about Marvel comic junk. Some of you need to grow up on that. Grow up. I'm not preaching against it. I'm just saying, grow up. (laughs) God's power is a real thing. It's a real thing. It changes lives. And Christians who walk around that are powerless, useless. Useless to their families, useless to their church. Useless to their pastor. Useless to their kids. If I never have anything above six in my church ever, I want my wife to be able to say, he was a man of power. He was a man of godly agape love. He was a man of of a sound mind, which some of y'all are probably questioning at this point. (laughs) It's okay. It's all right. Voice of the enemy in your head. I understand that. I understand that. How? Hey, listen. How rare is it to run into somebody that has a sound mind these days? It's rare. The way the, the stuff people believe. You get out there and start handing out tracts and say, "So, what do you believe?" You never hear somebody say nothing. No, no, no. no. They believe something. And it's weird. It's like you rip pages out of a hundred books, threw them up in the air, and grabbed ten of them and said, I believe whatever's written on these pages. It's almost that. It's, that's probably easy, the easiest way to explain it. It's not sound mind thinking. And there's Christians wandering around all over the place. They don't have a sound mind. I have six points. That was introduction. 
Matthew, I'm sorry, Psalm 55. They're quick. They're right in the text. We're not going to belabor them. Because you can circle them, you can write them on a piece of paper. You guys remember when, Pat, when, when preachers back in the day used to always say, buy the tape, we need the money? No, you guys, no. I'm only 35, come on now. You guys don't remember that? Man, back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> buy the tape, we need the money. Getting victory over the voice of the enemy. The voice of the enemy gets victory because we don't know or we don't believe God's Word. Oh, I know it, but I don't believe it. Oh, come on. Come on. Number one is this. Getting victory over the voice of the enemy. What does God say? I learned something a couple years ago and it changed my life in regards to church work. A lot of times when we're doing church work, we always try to say, I'm going to do all this work, pass out all these tracts, talk to all these people, and I want to have this many people in church. But the Bible never says that. The Bible says that He's the Lord of the harvest. The Bible says that Christ will build His church. Isn't that what it says? So what does it say? It says that we're supposed to go out there and faithfully sow the seed. So I need to have work goals and not results goals. Because if I, if, if, if I do everything for results, and I, I've got, and guys, good grief, the way we're wired, we've got to do the goal. You're tempted to even twist the gospel a little bit to make that goal. What does God say? What does God say about the thing you're struggling with? The thing the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind right now? What does God's Word say about it? Well, I don't know. You need to find out. You need to get in the book and find out. Number two, Psalm 55, verse 14. It says, We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. He's talking about Ahithophel. This is somebody he used to go to church with. Number two is this. Don't stop doing good to fight the evil. He's saying, With Ahithophel, I used to go to God's house. We used to walk, we used to have, I used to have him as my counselor. So the temptation is, when Ahithophel turned, and now he's a bad guy, essentially, I'm not going to have counselors anymore, and I'm not going to go to God's house anymore. Some people do stuff like that. No, no, no. Don't stop doing good. Don't stop doing the right thing. Don't stop doing the right thing. Don't stop doing good to fight the evil. Keep going to God's house. Go get another counselor. David, go get another counselor. Number three. I love this. Look at verse 16 and 17. As for me, I will call upon God. And the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud. And He shall hear my voice. When the voice of the enemy comes into my heart... God's going to hear my voice about it. Be determined and pray about that thing. Don't just sit there and wrestle with that by yourself. You're not strong enough and neither am I. You don't know enough Bible in your background to fight that presently. We've got to have God's help with it. And David said, when I'm struggling with this, I'm going to pray about it. And look look what he says. 
I'm going to pray about it evening and morning and at noon. I'm going to pray about it all the time. That's the only way you're going to get victory. What does God say? Be determined not to stop doing the right thing. Pray about it. Oh, this sounds pretty simple. It is. Aren't you thankful? Listen, he said I can go long, so it's okay. I went and talked to this lady at her house, and she'd been teaching college in Toronto for 40 years, she said, college. This lady's educated. She said she believes in aboriginal religion. I'm like, oh, what does that believe? Oh, you'd have to read all my books. Well, I'm on your doorstep. I really don't have time for that. That was sarcasm, by the way. The Bible's not like that. Victory over the voice of the enemies is a fairly simple thing. It doesn't take years and years and years and years. No, no. No, no. What does the Bible say about it? We need to choose to believe that instead of what the voice of the enemy is saying about it. Be determined to do the right thing about it and pray about it. Oh, come on. No, come on now. Look, either this is God's word and it's the truth or it's not. And if it's the truth, then it's going to work. Aren't you thankful that it's that simple? Praise the Lord. Psalm 55, verse 18. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. David remembered victories in past battles. Praise the Lord. Take the time to praise the Lord for the victories of the past. Very quickly. By the way, where's the songbook? Here's the songbook. Is this the one you guys use? Okay. If you don't have one of these at home, get one. I encourage you to do that. You take a time and sing one of these once a day. Oh, that would be weird. Yeah, I know. Heaven would come down and glory would fill your soul. <laughs> and that would be weird for some of you because it never happened before. <laughs> Sorry. Take the time to praise the Lord. You know, what? I'm in, I, we, we've, we've got a little house over in North York and in the basement. Man, I'm singing away. Man, your husband's weird. That's what you guys are looking at my wife thinking. Because I see you looking at her. You're like, you're staying with this guy? You know what happens when we just start praising the Lord? God, you're good. And we start singing a song to him. We start remembering the victories that he's done in the past. And you know what? The voice of the enemy gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and finally we, we raise up in our heart and we be like, God can do this. I can't, but man, He can. He can. David said, I'm not going to forget what He's done for me in the past. I'm not going to forget it. Verse 19, God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. Remember, ultimately, number four, their problem is with God. And it's not with you. Their problem's with God. It's not with you. And the last thing here, verse number 22. And I love this verse. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. When it gets heavy, <laughs> let me put it another way. When it gets irritating, because sometimes we wait too long, don't we? We do. Well, it's not heavy yet. I'm okay. No, no, no. When it gets irritating, cast your burden upon the Lord and He, He 
shall sustain you. Because when you finally find out what God says, you pray about that thing, you determine to do the right thing, you start praising the Lord, the devil's like, okay, okay, I'll give you today. But you know you're going to struggle with this tomorrow. I'll be back. I'll be back. And that's why that verse says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain me. I'm not responding. Oh my goodness, praise the Lord. I want to get Pentecostal right now. (laughs) I'm not responsible for keeping myself sustained. I'm just responsible for putting myself next to the Lord so that he can sustain me. My responsibility, again, what does the Bible say? My responsibility is to cast my burden upon the Lord. And it's his job, praise God, to sustain me. Don't let Satan trick you with that little doozy. What's a little doozy? I don't know. It's an Arkansas thing I picked up. (laughs) Because he does that, doesn't he? Oh, you can have today. Yeah, oh, it's church day. Sure. Yeah, you go ahead. But Monday's coming. No, no, no. He's going to sustain me, voice of the enemy. I'm going to have final victory over this thing. Matter of fact, because of the blood of Christ, I have the final victory on this thing. Present tense. Present tense. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in thee. And that's what Satan's after the whole time. He desperately wants your trust, your faith, and your belief. We've talked about the voice of the enemy. We've talked about how to get victory over it. But I want you to look lastly in verse number 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. That word burden, if you look it up, means a gift. It means that which has been given to you by providence. You will never see your God so clearly as when you have something you can't get victory over and then you take it to Him and then He gives you the victory. God allowed this. God gave me the six this morning. God gave me the six. It's okay. I've given Him the burden. I've prayed about it. And he's given me the victory. You can have victory. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And if Jesus shows up, it's a good day. Some of you have desperately need victory over the voice of the enemy. You need to realize Satan's the enemy. But you also need to realize God allowed that to happen to you because Satan is after your trust. And if he can make God out to be the bad guy that you can't trust anymore... Walking by faith is done for you. God allowed it to happen. Accept it. He loves you. He allowed it to happen on purpose. And it's so that you can take it back to Him. Watch Him do miracles with the burden that He has placed providentially in your life.